Amen. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. Put your finger there and also look to Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. You recall that we are walking from the time of Daniel to the manger of our blessed Savior. Hear firstly then the words of Daniel before the end of the exile. Daniel 9, verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And then Ezra chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. Ezra chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. Then Tatanai, governor of the region beyond the river, Shethar Banzai and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. So the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet and Zechariah, the son of Edo. And they built and finished it according to the command of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now, the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. And they offered sacrifices at the dedication of this house of God, 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. They assigned the priests to their divisions and the Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually clean. And they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Then the children of Israel, who had returned from the captivity, ate together with all those who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. This is the word of the living God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Living God who rules the heavens and who gives his voice to the earth, we pray, we beseech you that you would give us by your spirit the aid that we need to hear the word and to preach the word this Lord's day. We pray that you would leave none of us in the position of being neutral about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
that you would sift us this day, and if it be your will, grant all of us life and rest in Christ through the precious words of his voice and scripturated for us here. Help us live in God. Help us, precious spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The temple was indeed rebuilt. As we walked together for some months through the prophet Daniel's words, specifically the second half, where the Lord God gave Daniel various promises that the people of God would return at the end of the 70 years. The temple would be rebuilt, that Jerusalem would be restored, and that Messiah would come. We now see in our second week together, walking from Daniel to the manger, which really means we're looking at the last few books of the Old Testament until we get to Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see that the temple was ultimately rebuilt. It was completed in 516 B.C., which was almost exactly 70 years after its destruction. Of particular note that we didn't hear in our text just a few verses before our Ezekiel, or excuse me, Ezra text this morning in Ezra chapter 6, verse 8, we read these words. These words are of a pagan king, a non-Hebrew king. Moreover, I issue a decree as to what you shall do for the elders of these Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. Let the cost be paid at the king's expense from taxes on the region beyond the river. Not only was God's promise that the temple would be restored, that the people would return, that the city would be ready and ripe for the coming Messiah, but the nations of the world, as it were, are paying for the building of the temple. Persian money pays for the place where Jesus would walk. But the question for us this morning remains, what was the Lord up to while his people waited for the promised one? Perhaps a more specific question, what was the state of his people as they waited for the coming Christ? And it's an important question because it actually took place, but it's an important question for us because we find ourselves in a very similar situation. We have received the wonderful promises of God related to Jesus Christ, and we, too, wait in exile here in this world. Elect exiles, pilgrims, and strangers, we, too, wait for Christ to come. So our question this morning as it relates to the old covenant people of God really is a question for ourselves also. What was or what is the state of his people While they wait during this season of Christmas, some brothers and sisters around the world celebrate what is called Advent, a period of waiting, a period of waiting for Christ to come. Well, whether we use that word or not, we wait. We don't just wait, however, four weeks out of the calendar year. We Say, with all the church of Jesus Christ down through the ages, come Lord Jesus. So what is the state of his people? Let's look then at five different aspects of the old covenant people and perhaps see 
that they very much relate to our waiting as well. Five different aspects of what his old covenant people look like from this text as they waited. The first thing that we see is that they were prospered by the word. Prospered by the word. Look at verse 13 of our text. We're jumping into the middle of Ezra chapter 6. Boys and girls, actually, last week's sermon was from the book of Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah are really one book that has been separated into two books. Same material, but one ongoing story. And we're jumping in in the middle of Ezra. The text says, Then Tatanai, we will look at him in just a moment, governor of the region beyond the river, Shethar Bosnai and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. So the elders of the Jews built and they prospered. And what did they prosper through? Through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet and Zechariah, the son of Edo. Those are our prophets in the minor prophets, the book of Haggai, the book of Zechariah. They prospered through the word of God. Now, let's take note of a little bit of this word. Turn over one chapter to Ezra chapter 5. Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Wouldn't it be wonderful, brothers and sisters, as we wait, if we actually had prophecy from the living God? Wouldn't it be wonderful, brothers and sisters, as we wait for the second coming of Christ, if there were words of prophecy that could strengthen us, that could undergird us, that could hold up the arms of our faith, that could help us in our anxieties, help us in our depressions, cause us to see the glorious truths of God. Oh, would that God have given us words of prophecy? But He has. The prophetic word of the living God has been inscripturated for us. We have the finished revelation of God, and every time His word is preached, every time it is proclaimed, the finished prophecy and revelation of God is proclaimed in the ears of His people. And brothers and sisters, we don't need to look for more prophecy. We need to mine the prophetic word with which we have already been enriched. But the old covenant people were prospered and they were prospered. How? Not through the wealth of the nations, even though the kings of the world were paying for the temple and the rebuilding of the city. They weren't prospered through peace contracts, even though that really did happen. The word of God highlights that they were prospered. How? Through the prophetic word, through Christ's word to his people. Do you want to know how to live a life of prosperity? Every TV preacher on just about every station wants to offer you words of how to live a prosperous life. How to prosper in the gospel. 
Brothers and sisters, from the beginning of time to this very present day, the people of God prosper not through some false prosperity gospel, but through the real gospel of prosperity, which says the living God has spoken to you in the face of his son. The people were prospered by the word. Now, this prospering happened in trials. Daniel was told that there would be trials. And we just read that in Daniel chapter 9. What are some of those trials? Where, well, briefly, flip over one more chapter to Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 4 and verse 4. They're rebuilding the temple and we read this in Ezra 4. 4. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. Have the people of the Babylon of the day in which we live tried to discourage us from the faith of Christ? Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And it's likely that Daniel knew of some of these troubles before he died. So there is resistance The people who are not covenant people are trying to rise up against God's people in the task which God had ordained for them. Or turn once more to Ezra chapter 5. There's more trouble and opposition. Ezra 5, 3. At the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar, Bosnai, and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them. Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? Then, accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing the building. But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews so that they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius. People of the land trying to cause doubt and frustration and a lack of faithfulness to God's plan. And yet, how did they prosper? How was it that one chapter later we can read the words that the temple was finished? Again, brothers and sisters, they were prospered by and through the word of God. Let me give you one example of that word. You can turn there if you like. But let's hear some of the prophecy that came through Haggai to these very people Haggai chapter 1, verse 12 and following. You can listen to this, turn there if you like, but this is the very word of which Ezra speaks, the word that prospered the people. Haggai chapter 1, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. Do not we have the very same prophetic word today? The living Christ has said to us in his word, I am with you to the end of the age. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. What was it that stirred their spirits? 
The Spirit. How did the Spirit do this? By the Word. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you. I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. The people were prospered by the word. Brothers and sisters, we see that same principle at work in new covenant believers. One reference for you just to see that it's not just the old covenant people that are prospered, that are strengthened by the word. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. There, the spirit through the apostle Paul tells us, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The people of God, as they wait, are prospered by his word, which is why it is crucial for us to maintain the distinction that the word remains central. There are a variety of competing distractions in our day in 21st century Christianity. Many suggestions by many well-meaning people as to the best way to prosper in your spiritual walk. But brothers and sisters, there is an ancient way, a way seen in the word of God. And that is that God, by his spirit, prospers his covenant people through his voice, through his word proclaimed through his prophets and apostles, and then and now through his ministers. They're prospered by the word. But secondly, notice in our text back in Ezra chapter 6, that they're restored to joy. They're restored to joy. Look at verse 15 as we continue. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. Further down in verse 22, the text tells us that it was God who made them joyful. God who gave them joyful hearts. The people of God are restored to joy. You know, the text could have said they celebrated the dedication of this house of God, period. 
And that would have been enough. That was what the word of God had prophesied through Daniel and others. God had completed his promise. They celebrated the finishing of the house of God, period. But that's not what the text says. They celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. The merciful and gracious God returned a spirit of joy to his people. Brothers, I don't want to make too much of this. Sisters, I don't want to make too much of this little phrase, with joy. But a question for us as we wait for Christ to come, as we wait for the consummation of all things, do you believe that the Lord can restore you to former joys? Is it possible that when you go through periods of chastisement, when you go through periods of struggle in the walk as you wait, is it possible that the Lord can restore former joys to you? Or was it just the old covenant people? And for this, we see in the book of Romans, again, the reminder that the Lord will supply us with hope through his word. We see Christ, as we mentioned last week in John chapter 17, praying for our joy. Is it possible, friend, that however you have been walking with great success or with great failure, with great mountaintop ethos or valley kind of details, is it possible that the living God is able to actually restore you to former joys? The answer is yes. He does that to covenant communities as we see here. But brothers and sisters, just read Psalm 1 to Psalm 150. He does it to individuals. And sometimes those joys come with a lot of accompanying emotions. They did here. Can you imagine this day? But sometimes it's not just emotion, but that there is a sense, a conviction that God rules and reigns and I'm settled In the comfort of knowing that he has all things. And there is a stability in my soul that may ebb and flow with feelings of happiness. But I have joy. In fact, I can honor the command of scripture to rejoice. To have joy in the presence of the living God. The Lord took spiritually dead for the most part. Exiles returning from the captivity and as an entire covenant community restored them to joy. The people of God, as they waited, were prospered by the word and they were restored to joy. Don't make the mistake of thinking that the living God will leave you in a lack of joy because there's something extra bad about you. Not only were they restored to joy, but thirdly, they were acting on the scriptures. This might seem overly simplistic, but the text basically just details how they were obeying or acting on the scriptures. Look at verse 17. And they offered sacrifices at the dedication of this house of God. Then we're given the list of sacrifices, which is a smaller list than when the first temple was dedicated. 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs. And a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. 
they designed the or assigned the priests to their divisions and the Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem. And then notice what it says. All of these things, as is written in the book of Moses, the Pentateuch, they're doing now in return from exile for having broken covenant with God. They're doing things, what, based on the scriptures. Not only are they prospered through the scriptures, but they're acting on the scriptures. The community of faith, the covenant community is acting on the scriptures, how to do sacrifices, in just a moment, we'll see. This is a stunning statement. It's absolutely stunning in verse 20. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually clean. All of them were ritually clean. That hadn't been the case in several generations. All of them were ritually clean. And they're doing these things according to the word or acting on the word. One commentator suggested that it's Perhaps likely that this conviction of acting on the word was a conviction that remained with them even in exile. We looked, if you remember, months ago at how Daniel seemingly existed with his face bent toward the living God according to God's word. But even in exile, the people of God seems to have this conviction and we don't know for sure. Perhaps it was a, a newfound conviction that came upon the whole host of them here in this return. But one of the interesting things is that in addition to all of the sacrifices offered for the dedication, they had the wherewithal to say we're sinful and we need a sacrifice. The text says there in verse 17, that they offered, in addition to all of the dedicatory sacrifices, they offered a sin offering. Because of the word of God prospering them and because of their reliance on the word, they came to understand that as God's people bound up by ceremonies until Christ comes, there is a continual need to be reminded that we are not pure in our own strength before the living God. We need a sacrifice. So they act on the scriptures. So we have a covenant community that as they wait are prospered by the word, the scriptures. They're restored by the living God to joy and they're acting on the scriptures. They're doing what the scriptures say. How about you? How about me? We wait for Christ. We have greater revelation than they are we acting on the scriptures? Are you living your life as if the word of God is your food, as if it is God's provision for how to live as you wait? Well, for this brief period of time, the old covenant community was acting on these scriptures. But fourthly, we see another detail, and that is that they were remembering sacrificial blood. We already saw the sacrifice for sin, but we now press into a very famous feast, don't we? They were remembering sacrificial blood. In addition to the dedication and all of the joy and sacrifice, look at verse 19. And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. The priests and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually clean and they slaughtered the Passover lambs 
for all the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Then the children of Israel who had returned from the captivity ate together. And then there's a little detail here, which I think is absolutely stunning. They ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how to say this any other way. There were Gentile bodies at this Passover feast. Now, this whole host of individuals, by celebrating the Passover, are remembering sacrificial blood. A couple of details. There are clean priests. There's the offering of a Passover lamb. There's blood pointing backwards, reminding them of a sacrifice. Can you ever think of a time in the future? Or is it just here? Can you ever think of a time in the future where God would gather a covenant people in his presence and say, you're clean priests. There is a Passover sacrifice and blood has been spilt to remind you that I rescue you from slavery. Will there ever be another day where the living God will with clean priests remind them of his Passover And freedom from slavery. Yes. Every single week as New Covenant believers gather, we celebrate a Passover feast, do we not? Remember what John the Baptist said of Jesus? There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, we often think sometimes that the old covenant happened in all the ways that it did. And then God, in his infinite wisdom, made Christ to kind of fit all of those pictures of the past. And we're linear. We think that way, don't we? Well, he's got to be a priest. He's got to be a prophet. He's got to be a king. He's got to be a lamb. He's got to. We start counting all the ways that, wow, look what God did. He made Jesus fit this puzzle. But what if, brothers and sisters, Jesus is the point all along and the old covenant types and shadows and offices and sacrifices were given just so the living God could say he's coming. And detail by detail, puzzle piece by puzzle piece, you're getting more of a description in finite form of who he will be. Yes, brothers and sisters, when you and I come to the Lord's Supper, We're clean priests. You know that you're a priest, right? The Bible says that every saint is a priest. And you're made clean. The ironic statement, perhaps, of Ezra 6.20, they were all ritually clean, (laughs) is that they could be unritually clean. But not so for you and me. As we are dressed in the robes of Christ, we are clean priests who come to the Passover lamb whose blood was spilt and placed on the very doorpost of our hearts. That we, under his blood, might be free from the sins which lead to death. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. They're remembering sacrificial blood as they wait. 
But verse 21 tells us that they were obedient and separate. That phrase that I pointed out, verse 21, then the children of Israel who had returned from the captivity ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. It was the children of Israel along with any who had separated themselves. You begin to read the commentators, they're going to give you basically two answers as to who these other people were. Really, it's one big answer. They were likely Gentiles who either came from Babylon as the Jews were returning, or they were Gentiles from the surrounding region of Jerusalem who in that 70 years had been living there, and as the people came back, they gathered in. It's almost as if the Abrahamic people have the hope of the nations. And they're gathering themselves together. And they too, with proper separation from the filth of the nations, they too are looking and remembering sacrificial blood. Are you here today, friend? And you see all of these children of God, these Christians... Gathered together unto Christ. This is Christ's day. It is the day of resurrection. In a few moments, these children of God, these covenant people, will come to His feasting table. And do you find yourself this morning with an interest in what it is that separates them from the rest of the nations of the world? What is it that makes these people distinct? Perhaps you almost find yourself desiring their God for your God. Maybe you almost find yourself ready to give up the filth of all that surrounds and gather in, looking upon the blood of this Lamb which God has provided for this people. And maybe your question internally is, is it possible that there is blood for me too? Is it possible that the blood that was shed for these covenant people of the new Israel of Christ, is it possible that there's blood for me too? The answer of all of Scripture is absolutely there's blood for you. Christ stands at the corridor of time. He's raised up on a cross and shortly before He went to the cross, do you know what He told anyone who had ears to hear? I will soon be raised up And just like that bronze serpent that Moses raised up to free the people from the viperous venom of judgment, anyone who looks on me and comes to me will be saved. Or how about the words of Christ? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, what about it in John chapter 6, when Jesus says that all that the Father has given to me will come to me. And the one that comes to me, I will not cast out. The Christ who shed His blood for sinners the only blood that will wipe away sins and has gathered those sinners increasingly in local churches to be fed and nourished and prospered in His Word as they wait for Him to return, that Christ, through His Word, offers to you, offers to you, sinner, 
Blood of cleansing. And those of you in the room that know what I'm about to say and get this, you'll understand what I mean. We Reformed and we Calvinists can trumpet all day long that no sinner comes unless God draws him. But we ought to trumpet equally with even a greater passion sometimes that any who come to Christ will be saved. So yes, Gentile of the surrounding land, there is blood for you too. And really, this Passover celebration was like a new exodus for the people. You read theologians who are much wiser than I am, and they will put together themes of the Bible, and you'll just see all of your life long how beautiful an author our living God is. But think of this one. The Lord God sends his people into slavery into Egypt, and he frees them and brings them out and gives them a Passover meal. Then many centuries later, the Lord sends his people into exile in Babylon and brings them out. And what do they do? They celebrate a Passover meal. And then it is this very Passover meal that Christ uses just hours before going to the cross. It's this very meal that Christ uses to say that I am your Passover. I am your Passover lamb. The food of this table points you to my body. The the bread is my body broken for sinners. The cup of wine is my blood spilt out for you. You know, this really helps us to understand how to read the Bible. It's almost like the Bible is pulsing with the song that God saves sinners and he gives them a feast to demonstrate that Jesus saves them. Well, I said there were five things and we've only seen four. They were prospered by the word. They were restored to joy. They were acting on the scriptures. They were remembering sacrificial blood all while they were waiting. But finally, brothers and sisters, they were relying on God's daily provision. And so must we look at verse 22. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. There's that phrase again for the Lord made them joyful. And turn the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Now, whenever we talk about relying on God's daily provision, don't we think, as we ought, don't we think of daily bread, sustenance? I love what our brother Blake preached a few weeks ago when he reminded us that the prayers that we pray for daily bread are really larger than just needing food, which the Lord knows we need, but that that daily bread might help us to accomplish the greater purpose spiritually for which we've been called. And notice the first kind of provision that is mentioned in Ezra chapter 6, verse 22. A joyful heart. The fruit of the Spirit is, Galatians 5.22, love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Lord God actually is able to provide you with a better heart than you currently have. The Lord God can actually produce in you fruit of joy. Maybe you're an angry, bitter person. You've come to Christ, but you know there's so much bitterness in there. What will the Lord God ever do? Well, as he prospers you in his word, he may very well change your anger into joy. Maybe you're restless. You're always fearful. The Lord God is able to give you peace where there was no peace. Maybe you lack patience or self-control. One of the first things that the living God does when he washes you in the blood of his son is he puts his spirit inside you to clothe you with new kind of heart fruit like self-control. And one of the benefits of being in the community of Christ is when you hear the testimonies. I heard a testimony just this morning. When you hear the testimonies of how the Lord has saved his people, it's not only washing them from the filth of their sin, but changing them from the inside out. The Lord provides for this covenant people daily provision. The text says, quote, the Lord made them joyful. But in addition to internal provision, there was also a very noteworthy external provision. The very end of this chapter says that the Lord did something in someone else's heart as well. He turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God. God granted them favor with an earthly ruler. Brothers and sisters, as we wait for Christ's coming, his second coming, there is no earthly king, emperor, dictator, sovereign, president. There is no earthly king that will stand in the way of God's purposes. Do not, brothers and sisters, do not Give in to the temptation to think that the governments of this world mean anything at all in the economy of what Christ is going to do to save his people and to take you home. There are days where I think to myself, oh, maybe if the Lord is gracious, I'll have 40 more years. Probably not, but maybe. Well, what kind of world, if things continue, am I leaving to my kids? And if God, by his grace, gives them to me, grandkids and great-grandkids. I mean, the rulers of this world are increasingly evil. What kind of hope is there for these people? How are they going to be able to live faithfully as members of the church when all of the rules of the world are pressing into them? We sang it this morning, the very biblical answer. Though the nations raised... Kingdoms rise and fall. There is still one king reigning over all. So I will not fear, for this truth remains, that my God is, and then the song quotes Daniel, the Ancient of Days. The kings of this world are nothing. They're nothing in the hands of Of Almighty God. So as you wait, fifthly, rely on His daily provision, both provision within and provision 
from without. From Daniel to the manger, every single minor step, the Lord God absolutely controls. And as we'll see in just two or three weeks, there will be a king of kings in the manger of Bethlehem. Let's pray. Living God, you rule history. But you don't just rule history, you rule our hearts. And you've provided everything necessary in the shed blood and righteousness of your Son for any wicked heart to be saved, to be sanctified, and to be glorified forever and ever in your presence. So today we pray, Lord, that you would remind our hearts of these things and that you would prosper us through your word and return us to joy if need be. Help us, we ask, in Jesus' name.